0: Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Pediatric Speech Sister Show podcast. I'm your host, Melanie Evans. Thank you for joining me in a conversation with expert guests on how we can improve our cultural responsiveness in healthcare, education, and our day-to-day lives. This episode was previously recorded on YouTube Live, so please forgive us for any glitches in audio or audience participation. You can watch the replay on YouTube Live now using the link in the show notes. Let's get into today's episode. Back to the Pediatric Speech Sister show on YouTube Live. I'm very excited for our guest today. We have Balahashani today, and I already know I butchered your very beautiful name. Um, <laughs> so, okay, you, you're okay. Okay, thank you so much. So, yes, Balahashani. She is here to teach us about what speech therapy is like in India and also a bit about AAC and what that process is like. So if you are someone who is an AAC nerd or if you don't know much about AAC, especially when it comes to cultural responsiveness, you've come to the right live or replay wherever you are watching. I'm going to do a quick introduction, and then I will let you take over the floor if there's anything else <laughs> you'd like to add. She is a pediatric speech-language pathologist who is raised in India. After working in India, Velashini, for a few years, she worked in Dubai, trying to expand opportunities and grow as a speech-language pathologist. She has a special interest in AAC and bringing more awareness about it to people and about its necessity for autistic kids. She is currently working in a multicultural space where she gets to work with people from different cultures and traditions, which she believes adds so much to the experience of being a speech-language pathologist. Thank you so much for what you are doing across borders and your voice today and even before is even ringing bells here in the United States. And so I also just want to say thank you so much for staying up late because I understand <laughs> you almost midnight over there in India. Is there anything else that you would like to add to that introduction?
1: I think you've summed it up pretty well for me. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, I I really, I think it's an honor to be here because I've seen all these SLPs who have inspired me a lot and I have taken a lot of notes from them. So to be here and even do a little, share a little information that's as an SLP from my side I feel that's really an honor for me and I'm really happy to be here and excited to be here and yeah you did not butcher my name so don't
0: worry about it. (laughs) Thank you thank you so much for that great Um, well can you tell us a little bit about your why why you joined the field?
1: Yeah so I think that when I started out I think my why has always been changing i think we all start off with something and then we head into something else especially when i started i wanted to head into academia like i wanted to in, involve in a lot of research and see what it is that's where my interest was but therapy it felt like i'm some uh, something that i was good at so it was really like do i want to do something that interests me or do i want to do something i'm good at and i tried a lot in working and do uh, participating in research, but somehow it just did not click. So when I started into the field, I was really like in an uncertain place of, and unsure of how are we going to navigate with this? But then it still felt like, okay, maybe I should give this a shot. And that's how it started. But from then to being where I am right now, it's been such a very life-changing experience. Uh, To be very frank, because I think being a therapist, it influences you a lot as a person as well, and it really affects you. And the work that you do with, be it with kids or with adults, uh, I think that it has a lot of effect on you. And right now, it feels like it's very rewarding to be a therapist. Every day when I go, I just feel like no matter how bad everything is... I just go into a session and I have fun with a kid, you know, and that to me is my why. Even if I have a really bad day or a bad weather or anything that's putting me off, I think I just want to go and have fun. And I, I love working with the kids. And I think going into their world is, is very new and they can they can change your mood as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it can go from like a very bad day and to just shift into a very positive one. And yeah, so my why is that it's it's been changing, but right now it's very rewarding. And to see someone change because of a little part of work that you do,
0: right.
1: I think that's very important. And it's almost like you grow along with the people, right? So that's that's been my why, yeah.
0: That is great. And I just like how expansive that is with even, first of all, just being able to get with the kids get down on the ground with the kids have fun with them when you're having a terrible day oh much fun when you're thinking like kids are a lot of fun it is, it's <laughs> really nice to be able to let your inner child out when you're playing with right? them.
1: right yeah
0: well I have to ask you how did you get into the AAC realm how did that become more of your specialty
1: it became my specialty I think again that that too is like What happens is like we are not really introduced a lot of AAC when I'm learning in the university. It's like a part of your coursework, right? And then we don't really see it in therapy used a lot. We say a lot of these things like, oh, AAC is not the last resort. We have to start using it early. But then when we see in therapy, a lot of people are still working on speech a lot. I felt, and then, so when I was an intern in, I think there was the school that I mentioned called Vidya Sagar in Chennai. They're a nonprofit organization. And there they have a lot of kids who have multiple disabilities and they were using a lot of AAC devices for them. That's where I first saw all the AAC devices being used. And I was introduced to this app called Avas. And so I was like seeing them, And then, but then it didn't get carried on to work because, like, okay, so you use it for them only. You do not go into other people. But I think the more you learn as a therapist, and then you see more you read, more you educate yourself and become aware. And then I just started like delving deep into this. And I think I was hosted a uh, workshop for all the professionals. And then I felt like, wow, wow, there's so much to this, and so much you didn't know. I just felt like the more you learn, the more you feel like you don't know what you're doing. Right. Right. And a lot of people in Asia itself, non-speaking autism is still very new to them. So. And I feel like a lot of people, a lot of kids exist who are non-speaking, you know, and we are all working towards just speech. And we are they are all working to work on speech and then waiting to give AAC sometime later. So I just des- decided to give it a shot in Dubai when I came. I asked my company, like, you know, can you please get us an AAC? I think that would be really useful to work with the kids because we have kids here who are like small groups of different programs, like early intervention or like school readiness program, and they could really benefit from it. And then they believe me and they got me one. So yeah, so that's credits to them. And once they got me, then I I could see how much they change. It really affects them so much. And then it's just like, how come we don't learn about all these things earlier? And there's that sense of guilt too. Like, you know, how, how come we don't know this? That's something that affected me a lot. And I wanted to pursue that and see more and more and more changes and what I can do to educate myself and also other professionals. Because I believe even other professionals in India are still learning a lot about using AAC. And then even here, there's not a lot of awareness about integrating AAC and speech together, if you'd like, you know, (laughs) So that, that's how I got into AAC a lot. And being a shy kid, I would also lo- would have loved to use AAC when I was young. Mm-hmm, and, yep, yeah, yep. Right? Right? Even now, like when I come home and I text my parents something, I was has an option of sharing messages to WhatsApp. So I would sometimes use that. And it's really calming. Like after a day of being an SLP, you know, you can use AAC for yourself. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's good. And I feel like maybe if we have all these sensory needs too, just imagine the kids who've been not getting the access to this.
0: Yes. And I really liked how you said that and how you tied it back to therapists and people who you would consider able, people who are verbal, who can also benefit from AAC because Uh-oh. it made me get tired too. And it made me kind of put my head in the shoes of a nonverbal child where mm-hmm. it's, effortful speech. It, it takes a lot of energy to talk. And so exactly. I like how you said, coming from your day as a speech therapist, sometimes you just want to send like a GIF or an emoji to express how exactly, yeah. you want to say. So I really right. like that reframe. That brings that does bring me to my next question. You say that you work at a multicultural clinic. What does right. that look like to stay as culturally responsive as possible when bringing AAC into the treatment space?
1: Right. Actually, like if you see a multicultural space, it could mean just anywhere in Asia, right? Like when I was born in India, right? I'm just taking you back a little bit. India itself is like a multicultural space because India doesn't have one language. It has like over hundred languages and 22 official languages. So that if I move from one state to another, then they speak a different language, they have their own culture, they have their own tradition that, you know, so if I have to work somewhere, I have to learn their language because Mm -hmm. otherwise it would not really be possible for me like to interact with a kid. And also one more thing is India does have a lot of like English language learners too. So what happens is most of the kids that I work with are most of the times bilingual kids or multilingual kids. And English is really integrated into our vocabulary. Even if they don't speak coherent English, they have words that they use commonly all the time. So when I'm working in a multicultural setting, just interacting with clients, it's how I grew up, you know? So it's like, we always find a way to accommodate someone. We just have to, even when we were in university, we would have like, if a client who comes in, they speak Hindi, we are not Hindi, we are Tamil. So is there anybody who speaks Hindi that could help us? You know, and we would take their help. And if somebody else comes in and speaks Telugu, then we get help from them. So it's almost like always you learn to make accommodations along the way so that it doesn't become a barrier for someone to access therapy. And I try to apply the same things where I'm working in Dubai as well, right? Only in Dubai, I'm seeing people from different countries here. So it's a range of countries. I see kids from Philippines. I see kids from Ethiopia, Kenya, and Ireland, UK, and India as well. India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, everywhere. So how do i incorporate all these things all we have to be respectful and understanding of where they grew up like do they understand uh, their language better so should i have to make accommodations for that and how does their day go how is it different because different cultures have different routines and you have to be accommodative of all of those things and also the grammatical structures also That's one thing in sentence structures is that alphabetic languages have a very different structure than us. We are like alpha syllabic languages, right? So if a a kid is using English, he's learning English and speaking, let's say, an Asian language like Arabic or even like my language, Tamil, the structures are very different and it could be confusing for the kid. Doesn't mean that they don't know that. And if we evaluate them like on an English language basis, then maybe we could be making a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, like if I say I'm drinking water, we say the structure is subject, verb, and then object. Mm-hmm. In Tamil, if you say it, it's like, "na mm-hmm. which, which is like subject, object, verb, right? Okay. So right. it's like, totally different and they code switch, a code makes it all the time so I think ac- accommodating those kind of things while taking therapy and understanding those things that you know that maybe this is not a syntax problem is also very important. Also while doing assessments as well right in, uh, in India uh, we have lots of languages so we have we do have like language assessments for different languages but not for everything so we cannot rely on standardized assessments all the time
0: mm-hmm. right
1: so at those kind of times we'll have to rely on parental interviews and also language samples and i think those kind of things has pushed us to think more and that way to be accommodative of what's going on and understanding different families and how their culture works and how that could impact the child or how they could work with the kid um, in therapy or work with them at home on their language. So I think it's very wide, but then I feel like these are few things that we can do. And this goes on to AAC as well, mm-hmm. right? So like just the other day, I had a new kid that I had met and he did not say anything to me. Maybe he was not comfortable yet with me because I was very new. I just saw him that day. But as soon as his mom came, he just took his device and he said that my room was small and that he did not like it, you know? Yeah. But then he said it with a mixture of Arabic and English in the AAC. So I would have to know the word to make sense. And Mm. if we lose this clue, we might just think he's not speaking a word. Maybe he's just typing something, right? I think these are things that we could be more reflective of as therapists. I, I hope I that answered your question.
0: Um, no, it completely did. I mean, my wheels are turning <laughs> up here in my head. Let's see. Now you a lot of, lot of information. No, no, but this is excellent. You are being uh, celebrated in the chat, by the way. I don't know if you see oh. it. Yes, we do have a good friend here. Correct me if I say your name incorrectly, but I'm seeing Samanya or Samanja here. I think
1: it's Samanja.
0: Awesome, man. Just, yeah. So thank you so much for coming. And then we do have Alice here. She's saying hello, beautiful lady. So everyone is definitely appreciative of what you came here to share. I wanted to, first of all, mention and celebrate how, the fact that India is so diverse. And I am just speaking as someone from the States that it's easy to think that in a country Everyone just speaks one language. For example, here in America, it's easy to think, well, it's an English dominant country. So clearly everybody here speaks English, which is obviously not the case, right? Right. And so so in India, I do think it's important for even us to know this here in the States because we've been getting a lot of refugees coming from Afghanistan and like, you know, just other Asian countries and Mm -hmm. needing to do more evaluations in those. And so I really do also like how you said, we got to be careful. A child was communicating it's too small in here. And yeah. that's actually a skill and a strength that he was able to do that in two languages or two yeah. ways. Yeah. But if you didn't know what the word was, you could have, it could have been missed. Or if you didn't even have the competence, because you're very competent in that way. Exactly. To, you know, to
1: know right.
0: okay, he's using, he's just using another language. He's it's not wrong. So, exactly. Yes, yes. So thank you so much for sharing that. You mentioned university, and I know that there are some people here in the audience who are really just curious about how the education system works in India um, to get certified to become a speed pathologist. Can you share a little bit about your journey there?
1: Sure. So in uh, India, so once you finish uh, high school, right, then you would have to, for um uh, the bachelor, we have a bachelor's degree, uh, but the bachelor's degree offers for a dual course, so it would be a, uh, a major in audiology and speech language pathology right? So that's why I read MASLP. So we have to do the bachelor's and then you have the master's. But recently, I think as soon as I finished, like since 2018, for master's alone, they have split up the course. They have made it master's in audiology separate from speech pathology. But the bachelor's is still a dual course. And so you have to write an entrance exam after you pass high school. To get into one of the universities and then once you get in and then you navigate through it and then after that the certification process is not too difficult they'll just have to verify your course degrees are legit and okay. they will need a consent from the university itself and once they get that done then you um then you could be registered under the rehabilitation council of india and so it's like three years, the bachelor's is three years of theoretical practice. And while you have you will also be assigned like clinical hours as well, like you'll be seeing participating in clinics as well. And then your last year is your internship, where you get to be an intern and work with clients, and also like go out, be an intern in different spaces as well. So it's like a four-year coursework and then after that, then you have your postgraduate and postgraduate, yeah, it has your dissertation, your thesis, all of the all of those
0: all fun stuff.
1: Fun yeah. Things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you um, for sharing that. I'm just thinking about anyone who could be listening to this, even if they are in India and listening to this and becoming sure. inspired. I do want to move on and talk a little bit more about what disparities can look like in India, right. I know mm-hmm. that there could definitely be disparities. I know that you said that you were even the one who was knowledgeable enough to introduce AAC in that concept into your clinic space. So mm-hmm. if you could educate us a little bit on the disparities in India and what that looks like, and even the perception of special education.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. So disparities in india could be very wide start off just the access to healthcare, right that itself has a lot of disparity for like people there's a huge divide between rural areas and urban areas so urban areas are all the major cities you will have like mumbai delhi all those things are all the metro cities and the rural areas are all like the other areas. And the thing is, like the access to healthcare is more available in the urban areas where the less population exists. But then in urban there, in the urban areas in the cities, there's less people living and they have more access to health care. But then in the rural areas, they do not really have that much access. So that's where it really gets tricky. And I think that. Even for therapy services, like speech pathology services, there does exist some places from government-supported places where you can get access to therapy, but there's a very limited number of therapists uh, overall in India. Like right now, all the registered professionalists only amount to like 5,000 or so for the whole of India. India is a country of 1 billion people. Yeah. So you know how many people are not getting anything. Mm-hmm. right so it's very very difficult so even like just a doctor is like just one for 10000 people which is very very high
0: yes right
1: yes. yeah so that's how bad the ratio is so there obviously exists that disparity for that for the access but also there are other difficulties and disparities that exist too. This rural and urban divide could be like this, but there's also a disparity that exists in caste. Caste is like, I'm I'm not sure if you know it, but then if I could explain. So caste is...
0: Yes, I'm familiar, but I, I would love to hear from you. Yes,
1: Right. So caste is something like a social class, like a social status that's assigned to someone in their birth. And it's, uh, it's more dominant religion of India and Hindus. But then they have this thing called caste. So what happens is they have a higher caste, they have a lower caste. And so all these things affect a lot of people's attitudes and how they get treated and their access to healthcare as well. So this inequality, like even like the studies that they have done now, the reports they've done now, they could always see the caste that's considered low is getting the lowest of the access to healthcare a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's very important to be addressed because if they're not getting all this access, then they're not probably even getting access to a doctor, let alone like a therapist right? They probably are not even aware of this, you know, of something like this that exists, especially we saw that a lot during COVID, a lot of people were turned away from hospitals because of their caste. Mm. And I feel it's very ridiculous. But then you know, it's it's something that exists. In fact, it exists so bad that it's even carried to the U.S. Like recently in Google, they had this talk by someone and a lot of people expressed that they're not comfortable with it and they went ahead and canceled it. It it was that bad. So
0: can you explain that a little bit more? What, what happened with Google?
1: I think Google uh, was like, having a a talk by someone called Tenmari who belongs to an organization and they just wanted to give a uh, talk about caste because a lot of employees needed to be more aware or probably exhibiting this discrimination amongst other people. And they all got together and they they were emailing Google that they felt like this was not a safe place for them. Right? And they emailed them and Google canceled it.
0: So why would you say that Google canceled it?
1: Maybe there's somebody in higher power who also belongs to the cast. Yeah. Right? It could be they do not want to disappoint their employees. Maybe they feel like this is something that we don't have to get involved with. It's also something that's very new to the U.S., right? A lot of people don't understand that. But in India, it's so ingrained that we know what's happening. It exists everywhere. You could get really small benefits because of it. Like if you're in a university, you could get like people, people would, they won't really say that to you, but it happens very subtly. And Mm -hmm. if you look back, then you see all these people who people are like working with, then you can make a connection. So if this happens like at the level of academia, then the people who need like basic stuff, who don't get access to those things, we could imagine how difficult it is for them. Right. So it's really a very, very nationwide thing that we're trying to battle. And those two are, I feel, are very important disparities that do exist in India. And not a lot of people want to talk about it really that much now.
0: Yes. And I love how you mentioned caste. I had to pull up a book. It's by Isabel Wilkerson, and it's called Caste, The Origins of Our Discontents. Oh. And so it is based off of the caste system in India, but she's more so talking about the caste system in the United States. We don't really call it, we don't call it the caste system at all. We call it racism or right, right. Racism, all of those things. But yes, I really do thank you for coming on here and even showing insight and telling us insight about those sorts of disparities. And so that does bring me to my question, what would you propose as far as changes that could be made? How can we make those changes in our societies?
1: I think as far as cost system goes, I think we should just being aware and acknowledging that these disparities exist, first of all, should come from professionals. Like a lot of people try to ignore this and we should hold people accountable and holding people more accountable itself will work a lot. But then nobody wants to talk about it. It's almost like being silent is a subtle way of encouraging things to persist.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's what I think is happening. Just acknowledging that this is happening and being more aware would do a lot more for this than anything, at least like from professional side, I believe.
0: I like how you said being silent is a subtle way of encouraging things to persist. That is a very powerful quote, Vila. Thank I you. Hope you know. Well, that is about time for our conversation. Of course, I can have you here forever, and I hope that you'll be willing to come back to the show and educate us more, especially just as it pertains to breaking barriers in the healthcare communities. Do you have any final words that you would like to share? You have some cheerleaders, by the way. In the- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anything that you would like to share to the audience or anyone else who could be coming and watching this? I just have a feeling that there are people in India who might have an interest in speech pathology. Anything right. you to share with them?
1: I would just like to really say that I think everybody who comes on here, any professional, or you want to be a professional, all your voices are very important. And It's being heard everywhere. I want people to know that they're not alone in any of this, because I am somewhere in India or right now I'm in Dubai, right in the Middle East, and I still am aware. So I'm sure everybody's opinions are being held worldwide and a lot of people are sharing your thoughts and echoing along with you. You know, it might be right now that you think that we're alone, but I don't think so. And I feel people should always keep talking and voice their thoughts. And I think that's what makes us powerful. And I think that p- taking a stand for what you believe in is, is very important as in our field as well. Mm-hmm. You know, as a uh, SLP, as now, especially in our field, because we're all like working on communication all the time. So I think it's important to empower people and support everyone. And if your friend is doing something and talking about something a lot of people don't talk about, then we should come together as a community and support them. And that's how I believe we can achieve anything in, in this field.
0: Yeah. Thank you so, so much, Bila, for coming on the show. If people want to um, reach out to you after this talk, where can they find you?
1: I Right now, I just have my Instagram and email, but I am working on a social media account. So once that's done, I maybe I can share it with you and then I will get around. But I feel like right, right now they can email me all the time anyways, for sure.
0: Now, before we go, you did share some things with me that I will be posting in the replay and in the uh, YouTube description in the replay. Would you like to touch on those things at all during our conversation? We have the um, Avaz AAC and the Vidya.
1: Yeah, the, the Vidya Sagar. Yeah, I think that when we discussed about Vidya Sagar is the place where I interned in, is where I learned about AAC. So I just wanted to have a picture of, to say what they're doing. So maybe just, just attaching the picture to, that will be okay. That would be great.
0: Yes. And everyone watching this, please watch the replay. That's where I will be adding those edits of the Vidya (laughs) website and everything. So... Thank you so much, Vila. Thank you so much for everyone who came to join us. Tune in next week. I'll be talking to Fatima from Sis Heal Yourself about how women of color can be more aware of our mental health. Until then, bye, fam. Bye. Well, family, that's the episode. What did you think? Wherever you're listening, I'd appreciate if you left a review. Your feedback means a lot to me and helps me find more ways to help you on your journeys. If you're looking for more ways to expand your cultural compatibility in your clinical practices, follow me on Instagram at Pediatric Speech Sister and check out my newsletter for more show updates. I'll include all these links in the show notes. Until then, I'll see you next week.